This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends new cartridges before you run out. So you never have to think about ink. For details, visit hp.com slash instant ink Spotify. Conditions apply. And welcome to Chapter Tactics. This is a 40k podcast that focuses on playing Warmer 40k competitively at all levels of the game. I'm your host, Petey Pob, and with me I have Peter the Falcon swooping in from the Great North. Ha! Kaka! Okay, that's your intro forever. Uh, and <laughs> Mr. Sean, the one, the only abuse puppy writer from Frontline Gaming. A, a, a bark a woof woof? Is that we what go. we're doing now? Aw, oh, yeah, bitches. <laughs> Anyways, uh, we've got a very interesting episode lined up for you guys. We're going to talk about a tournament, a tournament fresh out of the UK scene. Uh, so if you're really interested in seeing what the UK, or I guess not just the UK, but what the ETC scene is going to be offering in the coming months, obviously we still have Chapter Approved and the big Adepticon FAQ, but it's always kind of nice to see snapshots and windows into what the ETC players and the UK players uh, and the European players in general are are kind of running and bringing to these big tournaments, um, because it is different than than uh, what you see here in the ITC formats and even what you see like on the East Coast and uh, like at Warzone Atlanta and all those other different formats as well. Um, it, I don't know, I don't know if Sean, Peter, I, I can't really describe it, but they're just different metas. It's it's just, they're all different. They definitely are. Like, and they always have been, really. Like, you've always seen significant splits in between the European and American metas, and as well as between, like, the American East and West Coast, the Australian. Yeah. There's there's a lot of different metas going on at any given time, and they're all a couple of degrees off each other. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say that as 8th progresses, we're seeing them slowly align, um... But there's still some some definitive, uh, like big list differences. Yeah, I see it almost as like a, a sort of like a weird like waveform oscillation where like they come in line with each other and then diverge again as the the codices and FAQs come out. Uh, so it's sometimes like they've been very close, and other times they've been just radically different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this is actually a topic that we'll probably talk about later after CanCon. Uh, Australia after their big event mm-hmm. happens we'll definitely have to give them the coverage they deserve uh, but it, you know it with the 40k stats that Peter by the way go to 40kstats.com if you want to look at all his amazing stats uh, with the stats that Peter pulls we can definitely look at, at more how you know how metas are differ in terms of just raw data what factions are used more in certain part regions of the world um, kind of what units they're running etc cetera, etc cetera. so it's really exciting I think Sometime down the road, with now that we have these stats and uh, CanCon's coming up, I think sometime very soon we'll definitely be able to talk about 
uh, in depth the different metas and what you'll see. Um, but in general, every time I try to explain them beyond they're different, uh, I usually end up falling short. So I'm not going to attempt to do that this episode, but I will I will talk about the ETC meta that we saw at Element Games. But before we do that, I've got one big announcement, one tiny announcement. The first big announcement is we are going to be part of Pandora's beta access to their podcast, podcast genome project. Um, it, it's a lot of words I threw at you, but basically, as I understand it, uh, Pandora is getting into the podcast business uh, where you will be listening to music. And if you feel like listening to a podcast, you tell Pandora, I guess, hey, I, I want to listen to a podcast. Uh, and then Pandora will stream a podcast at you that's based off of your Metallica, Simple and Clean by Tara Hikaru, and probably a 40k death metal band of some sort. Uh, and then hopefully it'll spit out chapter tactics to you. I don't know for sure. I don't know what their formula is. Rest assured, I will not be trying to break it because it'll be too complicated for me. But uh, Pandora will start featuring podcasts. Um, it, it's a it's a big step, actually, because Pandora uh, has hundreds of billions of viewers, significantly more than Libsyn uh, and some of the other larger podcast networks like Apple, uh, their iTunes podcast network. Um, so it, it's going to bring a lot more... Uh, people to podcasts and so a lot of the bigger podcasts are definitely going to blow up um, not so much for me I expect maybe a thousand or two thousand more listeners maybe um, and that's just a very 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 conservative estimate based off of the numbers uh, that they gave us um, but because we get early access to the podcast genome project um, we should get priority stuff um, to get more listeners so in the coming weeks, I'll probably uh, talk a little bit more about chapter tactics and what I do in detail. So for those of you who have been listening for a long time, first off, thank you very much for listening to chapter tactics for 90 episodes. Uh, that's that's uh, I didn't ever thought we'd get to 90. I thought Reese would shut it off by then. But we're almost at 100. So for those of you who've been listening that long, thank you so much. And for those of you that are going to be coming on to chapter tactics and listening via Pandora and any other platforms Pandora brings welcome and we'll be issuing them welcome issuing welcomes to them in the coming weeks yeah, um, those of you that don't listen suck it yes suck it all <laughs> of you who don't listen to this podcast you're dead to me all of you including all my family whoa <laughs> i can't believe i'm dead to you pablo that's no pete listens to my podcast <laughs> actually my family listens to my podcast too my voice carries throughout the house and so they're <laughs> listeners whether they like it or not by proxy <laughs> um second announcement not that big. Uh, there's going to be some format changes to Chapter Tactics. I haven't decided what yet, uh, but we're going to come into the new year. At the beginning of this year, I, I brought on co-hosts who have all been wonderful, um, and I'm thinking about ramping it up a little bit more, uh, maybe doing some some uh, Patreon funding, maybe through Frontline Gaming, something like that. So just uh, if I change the music, change the intros, change the format, maybe add a little extra things whatever I can think of here and there to make the podcast a little bit more professional for our new Pandora listeners. Um, and also because I kind of, I kind of want to change uh, the podcast format a little bit more. So keep an eye out for that um, though. It shouldn't change too much. And we will definitely will still be covering tournaments. All right. So let's, uh, Oh, also after we talk about element games, one final thing uh, we're going to talk a little bit about chapter approved and what we kind of want to see coming out of Chapter Approved 2018. Uh, and at the very end, because it was just Thanksgiving here in the United States, 
uh, I thought we'd all talk a little bit about what we're thankful for in the 40k community. I think it'll be a nice send off uh, and to head on into December. All right, Element Games. Pete is the guy on the spot. He's got all the stats. Take it away, Pete. Well, Pablo, I'm not going to go too in depth on the stats today. I want to keep it nice and clean. Uh, Element Games was an 85, 86 person tournament in the UK uh, held over the weekend. Um, top three players were uh, Josh Roberts, who ran a Prophets of Flesh uh, 9 Talos um, uh, detachment with Urian. He had three Crimson Hunter Exarchs, and he ran a Cabal of the Blackheart Raider. Uh, had a perfect perfect record throughout the tournament. Um, second place, Malik Rubio, also with a perfect record. So they had a tie break based off strength of schedule. Uh, ran double spear Inari with a, a uh, Crimson Hunter uh, triple uh, air wing as well. And uh, third place, who I believe was also 5-0, although I'm waiting for the uh, data from the TO, um, was Eric Horger, who also ran a uh, eight Talos instead of nine. He used those extra points to r run three uh, Dreaming Shadow Death Jesters, as well as some Skyweaver jet bikes. Um, overall, it looked like the tournament was a blast. Uh, I got to take a look at a lot of the pictures um, and talk to a couple of the players that were there. Uh, they seemed pretty excited about it. Um, yeah, I don't have much more to say than that. Oh, actually, I lied. I do. Um, Malik Rubio, I don't know if you listen to this, but uh, I just want to say I'm very disappointed in you. You beat Manny Chima, and Manny <laughs> was my hope and my dream that uh, Tau with 150 some odd four fire warriors was going to win a tournament. And that's on you, Malik. I hope you know that you ruined <laughs> both his day and mine. You know, betting on Manny Chima is a good bet too. Manny Chima has been dominating over in the UK as well, um, as as well as you know uh, Mike Porter, who's Number two, he didn't do too well at this event. I mean, you know, twenty sixth place isn't bad, um, and we'll talk about him a little bit more. Uh, but <clears throat> we'll talk about the Tau lists as well. But I want to focus on these three Eldar lists uh, because they are different. They're not they're not uh, the kind of cookie cutter Inari lists that we expect to see here in the ITC, or even like the Eldar. And then take that with a grain of salt. They are they are still what you expect to see. Um, but they're basically not Inari lists. Was my point. Well, uh, I mean, one of them was. Yeah, well, his is fairly standard Yanari. I mean, there's some twists in there, but at the end of the day, double spear Yanari is double spear Yanari. Fair enough. Um, but Josh Roberts's list is is uh, different. Is yeah, not Yanari. Yeah, it's certainly. Not something yeah, that we see a lot yeah. in North America anymore either. Talos had its day very briefly, and then everyone switched to grotesques. Really, in the ITC. Yeah, which I think partly has to do with uh, higher prevalence of knights in the ITC. Um, you see a lot of knights in the West Coast meta. I haven't looked over this tournament nearly as deeply as Peter has, but I don't think there's all that many knights showing up in it. Yeah, the the like there were definitely knights, but they're not that like ten to fifteen percent of. Uh of players that you get at uh, at like an American a North American tournament. There are yeah. a lot more massed horde armies with, you know, like 120 plague bearers or 150 fire warriors. Mhm. Mm yeah. Um you know, I, I don't actually uh, Sean maybe you can help me out with this. I don't know the rules off the top of my head, but if you have a Blackheart detachment even an auxiliary support detachment, you still get access to that stratagem, right? 
You do. The auxiliary okay. support doesn't give you the stratagem by itself, but the Prophets of Flesh detachment gives you all of the different Drukhari stratagems. Okay, so yeah, he just took the Prophets of Flesh and then got yep. the... Took, okay. Well, that's, you just that's... need that one Blackheart model in your army in order to be able to use the strat. Yeah, and, and I'm actually... Uh, I know that they marked this as Eldari, uh, but... He only had four Eldar, Craft World Eldar units, uh, Josh Roberts, the winner. Um, and he basically had like 1,300 points of Dark Eldar. So I'm going to say Dark Eldar won the Element Games, you know. So I think I, I want to chalk this up yeah. to a win to, for the Dark Eldar. So for those of you Dark Eldar players who uh, had some dominating tournament scores uh, earlier in the year, but not so much lately, um, there you go. There's a win for Dark Eldar. Yeah, also Dark worth Eldar noting, definitely still performing. Oh, sorry, oh absolutely. Oh yeah, they're they're doing well. They just haven't won as many tournaments. They've had tons of top eights, top threes, but not as many big wins recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing that I would <clears throat> sort of like to point out that uh, got glossed over: his air wing beyond the three crimson hunters, which he's running with star cannons, my preferred loadout. Uh, he's also running a single hemlock, which is giving him protect jinx, and that can be pretty big too. And that can be what? It can be pretty big. Just like having a Jinx in your list can really tilt the math on some types of fights. Uh, mm, for example, for sure. if he's if he's piling those Talos into a squad of enemy grotesques or something like that, if he puts Jinx on them first, suddenly that fight looks really different. Okay. Uh, and you could put Jinx on any unit, right? It doesn't just have to be the, the single Hemlock. Uh, the the Jinx is the targeted one on an enemy unit, so yeah, anything within oh, eighteen of the Hemlock. Right on. Okay, and then um, Eric. So we'll skip we'll skip Malik's list because it is a kind of a typical Inari list. Um, is there anything special you guys want to add about his list? Um, I think the I mean the only thing that really stands out there is the um. The air wing detachment, which is a little bit unusual for uh, your Yanari list these days, you don't see that as much uh, because they usually want some ground presence, but it's not anything particularly crazy. He's got the wave serpent, the dark reapers, the swooping hawks, the shining spears. Okay. All right, and then finally, uh, I, I want to talk about Eric Horger's list. Uh, he, we don't know if he went undefeated yet, but it is definitely... An interesting list. It's, it's army faction is Eldari, um, but like like Josh, it's uh, Dark Eldar army. Essentially, it's like sixty percent, seventy percent Dark Eldar, um, with a five hundred point Harlequins attachment. So no craft world Eldar at all. Uh, and he's also brought three Razorwing jet fighters, um, which are mm-hmm. actually units I don't see very much, um, especially in Dark Eldar lists. He's got the eight or not eight Talos. Pain engines uh, with the chain flails, which you expect with the haywire blasters, um, and then he brought skyweaver jet bikes for with haywire cannons. Um, expecting to see a lot of uh, knights or, or vehicles, um, but the razorwing jet fighters are kind of strange. I don't really see them that much, and I don't know a whole lot about them other than the fact that they're not commonly taken. Uh, do you do you see why he would bring these, Sean? And it looks like we lost Mr. Sean Morgan, so we're going to have to uh, wait for him to join back in. Um, <clears throat> as always, the warp works in mysterious ways, and we have no control over it. Yeah, such is life. Um, I guess the only other thing that's, uh, that stands out from Eric's list is he did run the Triple Death Jester, which isn't something we see uh, on the North American side too too frequently. So. Yeah. 
Uh, it looks like we got Sean back. Sean, did we get you back, or are you a pink horror? Uh, I I mean, I could still be a pink horror. I haven't decided whether I'm going to split yet or not. <laughs> um, anyways, uh, so Sean, you were talking about the racing jet fighters. I think you were saying that they were cheaper and better anti-infantry? Yeah, that's basically what it boils down to. A little bit easier to kill, but uh, better anti-infantry shooting than the Eldar Flyers get. Because the, the Eldar Flyers are mostly about killing tanks. All right. Um, so uh, let, let's go ahead and move on to these um, Tau lists. So we were, t- we were definitely talking about this before the podcast, and we were kind of going over the element game, like the lists and stuff. Uh, but one thing I noticed with um, Alex Harrison's list and uh, Manny Chima's list is that they were they were bringing a lot of fire warriors, a lot of bodies. Um, and I know Alex Harrison didn't place, uh, but he is still he's one of those players who's known for bringing like the cheese or the the quote unquote best things he can bring. He's not going to bring like a fluff army, so it is always kind of important to look at what those kind of players are bringing. Um, he he did leave the pint glass at home, uh, off the list. Uh, from what I've been told, it's a little shot at him. Sorry, Alex, I had to. Um, sure he understands, but. Let's talk about these Tau lists, because we're seeing a lot of bodies, uh, and then in the Eldar lists, uh, you're seeing a lot of anti answers to anti-infantry. Uh, so, is this kind of like where the meta's heading in the ETC, do you guys think? Or do you think is this a, just a general meta that we're all going to be seeing as these infantry-heavy horde armies um, that you're going to start seeing everywhere? Uh, I think partly it is more of an ETC thing. Um, ETC has always seen kind of heavier body lists. Even if you, you go back to this year's ETC, uh, Team America said they were expecting a lot more horde lists than they actually ended up seeing. And that's typically been the case in past editions and past iterations as well. Um, you see these 150, 180 plague bearer lists fairly often. And just straight by the numbers, um, Fire Warriors are one of the most efficient shooting units that Tau can bring, uh, at least when short range. But they do struggle a little bit hurting some of the heavier targets, which if you're not seeing knights, that's less of a problem. Um, and they really need to be within like 15 or 18 inches of their target to do the proper work. Uh, if you're shooting at 30 inches, you're not really getting a lot done. So, I, I guess I guess in in terms of um these uh, tile lists. Sorry, guys, we're actually I'm actually having a hard time sorting through the uh, lists, uh, the PDF document. Um, I'm experiencing a little bit of technical difficulties. Uh, but the would you if you're, you're a tile player, Sean? Would you start using if you had to build a tile list? Would you start using these like strike team heavy, infantry heavy tile lists? Um, or would you use like sniper drones? Like what I've, I've been seeing Frankie use a lot and couple other players down here um, like for example Warzone Atlanta uh, or would you kind of stick with your more traditional whatever you were bringing before I wouldn't go nearly as heavy on the strike teams as these people are bringing um, I'm always running at least 30 strike team guys usually more like 50 or 60 um, but 100 or 150 I think is overkill. It's just too hard to bring that much firepower to bear in the appropriate places. Um, I just, I don't think it works out super well most of the time, which, you know, admittedly this is a different format, um, 
they're playing a different kind of game because of the maelstrom objectives and other things, it's much more biased towards being able to score through the, the middle turns of the game. But um, personally, I don't think that's the way I would want to go with it uh, for a number of different reasons. Logistical, if nothing else. Oh. It's like moving that many models around is rough. Okay. Uh, so um, I'll, let's talk about... P- I, I, I'm going to mispronounce this name. Piotr... P- Piotr... Peter? Peter? Is it just... I'm just going to call you Peter. Uh, you are... You placed uh, fourth um, m- person. Zemis? 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 Peter Zemis. He's listed as Imperium, um, but he, he's basically running Imperial Knights. He's got 1,300 plus points of Imperial Knights. So he, he is the Imperial Knight player to rise above... Um, all the other Imperial Knight players uh, that have fallen since the since the uh, nerfs, but um, ba- basically he he brought the kind of like your typical kind of like what you would expect to see out of a knight list. He brought uh, Helverins, Armager Helverins, two of them or three of them actually, uh, Knight Crusader, mm-hmm. Knight Gallant. So your typical knights kind of detachment, a lot of knight big stuff, dudes. Three Shield Captains on Don Eagle jet bikes, which is a little old school. Um, old school meaning earlier this year old school to maybe last but since like the the Sodes codex dropped basically that was the big thing back then was shield three shield captains on Don Eagle jet bikes uh, and then the the brave 32 three infantry squads of guard and two company commanders um so this is kind of your typical uh, what you'd expect imperial knight players to bring is uh an HQ detachment the loyal 32 and uh knights in some flavor variety um, it, I I wonder if if he I'd love if you reached out to if if you could reach out to me Peter um via email frontlinegamingpdpod at gmail dot com um let me know what matchups you played and who you won because th- this is a list I thought I would never see really very often at, at this high level and at these large events um but obviously you did really well you got fourth place um so I I'd like to get the lowdown also how to pronounce your name help me out a little. <laughs> One uh, thing that stuck out to me um, in his list is this is a very uh, West Coast ITC looking list. Yes. Um, like you kind of mentioned, this is this is more like what we're used to seeing in the sort of top 10, top 15 of ITCs. You almost always get at least one of these lists. Um, and I've actually seen a fair number of knight players switching from the Blood Angels detachment over to the Shield Captains again. Uh, because they provide some strong anti-infantry, they're really good at clearing out hordes of orcs and other things, and they're not as reliant on being fed lots of command points as the Blood Angels are. So they can operate, like, once the game starts, they're pretty much independent of command points. Uh, Pete, it sounded like you were going to say something. Oh, oh no, no! I was just going to agree with Sean that like you see a, a quite a bit. Uh, you said, actually when uh, when the uh, chapter, oh, sorry, when the last big fat came out, you did see like an, an early turn towards yeah. um, uh, towards this triple custodies captain, and then it kind of dissipated again. Like Trent Northington did very well with it. A couple others. So. Um. <clears throat> all right. So, uh, Pete, let, I know you said you we're going to go to the numbers a whole lot. Uh, but did you manage to break down the super factions, like the Eldari lists and the Imperium lists and the Chaos lists, 
uh, at the Element Games uh, tournament or or not? I did. Uh, let me see if I have them on this machine because I haven't uploaded them yet. I was waiting ah. on the um, the uh, the parents parents results. results. Right Let on. me just see if I have it on this particular computer I'm on right now. I can get you that data. Okay. So so while you're pulling that up, uh, I would just like to give a quick shout out to some people who attended this event. Um, uh, maybe not the ones who did the best, uh, but Mr. Mike Porter getting 26th place, uh, currently number two in the ITC. It's it's good to see Mike um, not giving up, not letting off the gas and going to these major events. And, you know, 26th place is still pretty good. That's like three wins. That's like going three and two, basically. He got 60 points. So I, I don't know what Mike Porter ended up being, um, but at least three wins with those 60 points. Uh, and then I also wanted to give a shout out to Conrad Barkiewicz, um, who's a, a loyal listener, uh, some notable name I noticed on there. Uh, and then Mr. Michael Core coming in at 80th place out of 86 people. Uh, only six people beating him to the wooden spoon. Uh, Michael Core is a writer for Frontline Gaming. Very hilarious writer, I might add. Um, y- you know, it, it's Peter, or uh, I'm sorry, Mike, Michael, um, if you could write about your about all your games uh, in, in a funny format, Frontline Gaming, I think people would really <laughs> like that. It's just, uh, you know. Everyone loves a good battle report. Say that again, Sean? Everyone loves a good battle report. Oh, yeah. That's I, just I like, think that's good stuff. I think we should listen to more battle reports of people going 0 and 5. Hey, I think that's they're the in the game, too. Uh, He's a right, brave Pete. man uh, running Dark Angels, no less. Oh, yeah. What did he run? I got I to gotta, I gotta um, see what his list is. Hellblasters with the Dark Shroud and Azrael, and then Death Watch alongside it because you know Dark Angels were too good on their own, so you need to bring them down a little bit. Uh, <laughs> and then a single Calexus Assassin there to save the day. Uh, a Watchmaster too. Yep. Well, I yeah, mean, of course. Yeah, of course. Gotta you get gotta those have a full rerolls on everyone. <laughs> you know, I, I don't, I don't know if you have much experience with Space Marines, Sean. Um, but I keep wanting to bring like a unit of ten Primaris intercessors and then just like run them up the board of my opponent. I feel like that'd be very difficult for my opponent to deal with. Maybe not. It's it'd be more for my list than like a oh this is amazing tech guys. Everyone should run this. Like you know or or, or am I wrong? Are Primaris intercessors just um, like bah? They're too easy. Well, I. I don't think they're great running up the board um, because they really need to be sticking to cover in order to keep survivable, and it's it's a little optimistic to expect them to be in cover continuously if they're moving forward. Um, they also suffer pretty badly from knights because the combination of like the Avenger cannon, the Call's Wrath, and the Stomps is just it's too much multi damage for them to handle reliably. But if you're not seeing a lot of knights in your area, they actually can do pretty okay, because they are super survivable against anything that isn't multi-damage. Um, like, mm. those guys sitting in cover getting shot at by bolters is just ridiculous. And um, I would sorry, say there's something to be said for Death Watch in- Intercessors. Um, oh, yes, you can yes. You strike them, so you can get them into cover easily. You can get them, and that extra minus one uh, really can do some damage. And the option for all of those other kinds of uh, 
the special ammo on them suddenly makes their guns pretty dangerous. For sure, especially because you can swap out to the assault gun if you want to instead of using the standard rapid fire, and they, they also get that negative one AP just base. It's pretty wicked stuff. Yeah. Uh, but really, I think the best use for intercessors is either objective camping, which they're pretty good at, um, or character protection. If you're running a really character-heavy list and you need something to stand in front of your characters and be alive, intercessors are really good at that. They're a big bundle of wounds. And if you have, like, Celestine and three Smash Captains hiding behind, like, six or eight intercessors chances are your opponent's not going to chew through that in a single turn. Yeah. Um, I think I'll try them out and see where I go from there. Uh, anyways, so moving on from the Element Games, congratulations to Josh Roberts and Malik uh, for going getting maximum points scored uh, in the, the format. Uh, going 5-0 and at an 86-person event is not an easy task. Uh, so no. congratulations. Um, and we'll also be covering this more in detail uh, when when Pete gets the full stats and the pairings data for all of this, we'll add it to his stats data uh, and then we'll be able to examine it a little bit more. Uh, unfortunately, Peter did have to step out. Um, he is, he just is currently working. Um, I, I know he directs planes for a living, so I don't know exactly what he's doing when he's working, but hopefully he's, he is uh, helping a plane land safely. Although I don't think he would record his podcast and, and uh, be an air traffic person, but I don't know how they do it in Canada. I, I think our plastic spacemen are probably more important than the lives of those airplane passengers. I agree. I, I think mean, they're so just, too. I mean, it's they're just only a bunch going of up Canadians. there to shoot. Yeah. Yeah, to shoot pictures of polar bears and stuff. Maybe, maybe measure the ice caps, but we know that they're melting, so at least we should know that. We're no, melting. that's a Chinese hoax. I heard about that on the news. <laughs> All right. So um, l- let's go ahead and move on to. Um, to chapter approved, um, and I kind of want to piggy bank uh, or piggyback um, what we talked a little bit about and talk about what I want to see in chapter approved, um, and that's I would really like to see uh, changes to to uh, ba- basically boosts to a lot of the smaller factions. And I know you guys are probably going to hear uh, or less used factions. You guys are probably going to hear this a lot on other people's podcasts and videos, and it's probably what everyone wants. And I feel, feel like I'm saying speaking for everyone when I say that we really want to see uh, points decreases to other armies. I know recently at the Warhammer uh, World or Warhammer, their their last Warhammer event thing, um, they announced that Grey Knights were getting sweeping points changes across the board. Uh, we don't have any specifics yet uh, from GW, but that's good to hear. Um, and then mm-hmm. hopefully uh, there are Grey Knight. there are a lot of Grey Knights units that are kind of like like uh, cross compatible with Space Marines and other Adeptus Astartes codexes. So if they hit th- like a unit like the Storm Raven, for example, um, I would assume that they would lower the points costs for Storm Ravens on all the units. I'm not saying that that I want to see Storm Ravens points costs lowered. Actually, they're they're fine where they're at because I still remember when people were running like five of them with Hurricane Bolters. That was definitely <laughs> a no no. Um, but you get my point. Things like like Predators and and Dreadnoughts and things like that. Things that uh, people don't use very often that are in all the Space Marine codexes. Yeah, the Space Marine books as a whole, really, like, there's two easy things you can kind of glance at and see are not costed very well. And number one is anything with power armor, and number two is anything with a vehicle keyword. Yeah. Um, like, it's it's hard to remember the last time I actually saw a Space Marine vehicle do well on the table. Uh, and that's not a great sign for so many of those iconic units. So 
I think it's a pretty safe presumption that GW is going to significantly drop prices on a whole lot of Space Marine units, um, and, you know, Grey Knights included within that, um, and obviously Dark Angels, Space Wolves, all of that. We kind of supposed that a while ago, that, like, the reason they didn't make any changes to the prices on stuff when they dropped the Space Wolf Codex is because they were going to do all those changes at once in Chapter Approved, and that makes sense. Yeah. It's another thing to kind of, like, go a little bit further in there that I'd really like to see um, is they, they did this, la I think, last Chapter Approved with with Land Raiders or vehicles or something, with customizing Land Raiders. Um, and th then this year they announced that they're doing uh, character customization, but only for open play. And um, hear me out, guys, because I know this is probably unpopular and inherently not good for competitive play, but I'd really like to see them do something like that for competitive play. Like, nothing crazy. Like, I don't want people to start putting LAS cannons on, on lieutenants and whatnot, you know? But uh, it, it feels like GW is going to step away from from all the cool character options that, that Codex has had, like the chaplain on the bike and the librarian on the bike and and um autarchs. I, I don't know I don't know what, what's in Codex or Index Eldar versus Codex Eldar in terms of character customization, but I know Space Marines kinda lose a lot of cool customization options, um switching over from index to codex. Um so I kinda hope that they they throw something in there for competitive players as well. They like I said, they announced that they're going to put bring in some sort of customization options for characters uh for open play um which is cool of course for for people who want to build their awesome customized characters uh i just wish that that characters could be a little more customizable and competitive play um if if anything just to diversify you know what people are bringing well i'm i'm actually gonna play devil's advocate here on this one they did this once before um, for those of you who remember back to the dark, dark days of 3rd edition and the vehicle design generator, they did have a set of things available so you could design whatever vehicle you wanted and give it whatever guns you wanted and all this sort of thing. And it was this massive set of nested tables where if you, you know, bought ballistic skill 3, then your guns cost this much, and if you bought ballistic skill 4, they cost this much. Um, and it was pretty much immediately thrown in the garbage by the entire competitive community because it was so easy to break. And I think that's what they're afraid of, and rightfully so, this time around. Um, that it any system they design someone is going to figure a way to weasel out a super efficient character or vehicle or whatever it is. Um, in in the old vehicle design, yeah, the old vehicle design one, one of the ones I recall was you had, you could mount a, I think it was like a land raider that carried like 60 las guns or something stupid like that. <laughs> um, and it ended up costing like 200 points. Um, so it was this super cheap, extremely powerful transport that would just destroy any infantry unit that came into its line of sight. Um, and it's, it's really, really hard to design a system that prohibits that kind of abuse. Uh, because whatever you do, someone will figure out the one thing you forgot. You're right. And, and to be fair, um, in the past, and I know this, uh, even when they've added like simple, 
lighter things like um for example in seventh edition when they added in the all the options for chaos demons in that space wolves and chaos demons supplement um mm. that i already forgot the name of they gave chaos demons like more psychic powers depending on their gods and blah 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 and it was kind of cool but it also kind of uh broke the game a little bit in terms of power level um and then the supplements that they added you know, in 7th edition randomly, were always a little more powerful. And I do like that in 8th edition, the things that they're adding to 40k as little supplements are very, very weak and very, very on the conservative side. I'm looking at, like, the Blackstone Fortress 40k rules or the uh, the kills, the, the rogue trader models, those oh, detachments yeah. and those yeah. rules. Those rules are... They're so so tame. They're they're very conservative, and that's good. We don't we you know we don't want Forge World already adds enough overpowered things randomly so to the meta into the game. Which, which Forge is, World already does that. It's it's <laughs> funny to hear you say Forge World is the overpowered because Forge World is such but garbage it's because right they, now. It's because they have because Forge World what? So long, and then uh, they get like their one their one vehicle per codex that's absolutely ridiculous, and then it gets nerfed into the ground in about two weeks. Um, other than the Hellhound, because for some reason yeah. it's been touched. <laughs> it's been slipping under the radar this whole time. <laughs> it's um, I, I like the the termite drill. Actually, the last two vehicles they released, the termite drill and the that giant Necron Walker, have been pretty been pretty powerful. Um, uh, uh, really, you think that Walker's any good? It looks pretty bad to me. You know what? Compared to the rest of that codex, Sean, that Walker All right, is a I'll smash captain. Yep, I'll, <laughs> I'll give you that much. It's as good as an Imperial Knight on the bottom end, which is like, okay, that's better than pretty much everything else Necrons have. Uh, yeah, it, it's it added a little variety to a codex that desperately needed it, but you're right. Yeah. It, in ter- if that thing were an Eldar model, it would be laughed at. It, the, oh, the, yeah. it, I mean, it is an Eldar model. It's called the Wraith Knight, and it is laughed at. Yeah, you're, you're right. But um, uh, so so um, now that now that I kind of said that, and I, and I do agree with you, Sean. I think I think that that um, overall, it, it would need to be balanced correctly, um, and that there's obviously balance issues there. Uh, and GW in the past has definitely messed up extra little things that they've given us. Um, and I would prefer a more conservative route. I just, you know, I would just like to see maybe if every, maybe if they came out with a character kit for every single faction, like hmm. like Space Marines get a real captain kit, not like the not like the poor one that just sits on the front lead local gaming store shelf for like twenty years that you can't sell for five bucks. See, all it comes with is a storm bolter. It's like literally the only good th- option that they have for that captain. And you Space Marine players know exactly which kit I'm talking about. Um, but you know, just like uh, here's an here's an Eldar Autark with all the options. Here's a Space Marine Captain with all the options. Here's a a Hive Lord. I don't know Tyranids. Do a, they already have a Hive Tyrant model, I guess, with with all the options. Um, but you guys get my point. Um, you know, more variety there. Necrons, that, no, definitely need something. Um, they've they've got just those generic characters and blisters. Uh, yeah, but, but yeah, just have, something like that. They have so few options that they're characters can actually take that the basic yeah. blister actually covers almost everything you can do oh well, well. M- yeah, maybe a kid that can make a cryptic we'll get uh, a new lieutenant with two power sword arms jesus yeah oh it, speaking of new go, go ahead sean sorry yeah, this, I'm, I'm just going to sound off here because, you know, we know that GW listens to this podcast occasionally. Stop making more Space Marine HQs. 
are so sick of them. There's like 19 different lieutenant skulls. <laughs> um, you know what? I was going to say, I was going to say, like, I agree with you. Um, but they just gave me a uh, Primaris Marnius Calgar and he looks so cool. And I already wanted to use Calgar in tournaments anyways, because Calgar is like a little baby Gilliman. Actually, not even close. He's he's like a really bad Gilliman. He's like a poor yeah, man's Yeah, I was going to say, if you want to use Calgar, just run Gilliman. Yeah, exactly. So, but, but, you know, they said he's a Primaris uh, Calgar now, so... And yeah. he was already kind of beefy stats wise, so yeah. maybe they'll like maybe they'll like beef him up a little bit more. I don't know what they're. It's yeah, GW they're five attacks, <laughs> maybe even toughness five. Yeah, one more wound, T five. I'm already cool with that. You know, maybe they'll give him like an <laughs> orbital bombardment. Like I'm hoping Forgeworld had some you know access to the rules writing or put some input into writing his rules. <laughs> So I that like... the, the cool model can actually like be legitimately powerful on the tabletop. Like, I don't care if everyone brings them onto the tabletop. That's just more Calgars for me to look at while I go to these tournaments. Like he's just so cool. And and I know I don't talk about this much on the podcast. Uh, I haven't talked about it recently. I'm a huge Ultramarines fan. I love the Ultramarines. Calgar has been my my HQ choice to go to since I started playing. Like he's he's the first metal model I purchased. Uh, which is like, eh, gross metal models, but I love metal models, guys. Um, Calgar was my first, and he was like the third model I ever painted. It's like, dude, I love this guy. But anyways, Pablo, you're a beautiful I digress. Soul, man, uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I can stay on the podcast knowing that you like metal models. <laughs> I'm an Ultramarines player who likes metal models, who, yeah. who uh, occasionally cuts people off while I'm hosting. <laughs> I don't know, guys. There's a lot to love there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So, uh, Peter, um, what what are some of the things you kind of want to look forward to uh, or you want to see in the coming chapter approved? He's beautiful. He loves it all. Yeah, it's he, just he's, too he's... much good stuff. <laughs> um, so while, while Peter is uh, busy directing air traffic, um, do you... Do you think, Sean, so so this is kind of an interesting question. It's kind of more of a, a game theory or, or kind of like a, a game development question. Um, but do you think that GW should take the stance of nerfing everything or buffing a bunch of different things? Or maybe a little I bit of both? I Yeah, I don't think either one by itself solves the problem. There are certainly units in the game that are too cheap for what they do, but there's also other units that are too expensive for what they do. Um, I think GW has been pretty good about at least the non-Forge World stuff trying not to go overboard with their nerfs when they do it. Um, so I think some sort of like gentle price increases to a few of the units would be good. Um, but that does tend to be off-putting to players, so you're often better off trying to bring down the overpriced units rather than drive the stuff that people already are using into being useless. Um, so kind of like a suite of both of them. Like like I was saying earlier, bring down the cost on a lot of those Space Marine units, and not just spa Space Marines, but there are lots of units in the game that are clearly a bit too expensive for what they do. Um, in, in every single codex, to varying degrees. Like, the Necron codex has it really bad. They have a lot of 
really expensive units that just don't do what they're supposed to. Um, Admech is the same way. But even the good factions like Eldar and Tau and Chaos have some units that could really use a little bit of love because yeah. you just don't see them on the table very uh, one often. One thing I would say is I think the, like, the big problem is this This edition is so killy and Games Workshop maybe overpriced defense thinking without realizing how killy they made it. Yeah, With, for sure. Like, every codex having a fight twice or a shoot twice or both or a move like a million times, it's just too easy to just wipe out units. So reanimation mm -hmm. protocols is attacks that Necrons pay through the nose for and they shouldn't. Um, three plus armor saves are uh, attacks that most units pay way too much for. Yeah. And, and even stuff like yeah, Planet it, Raiders is another good example of that, where it's like it's supposed to be very defensible, but like practically every army in the game can kill it on turn one. And, and Land Raiders are a really hard unit to balance, right? Like if you look at past editions, mm -hmm. Land Raiders were bad because they got immobilized and you had to spend all these points, you know, to, to basically have an immobile kind of terrible shooting platform. Um, expensive terrible shooting platform and now you have these land raiders that are still expensive um but they they can die easily or they can be tied up by little things like rots or whatever right so they can't shoot ever again um it, big units like that that are, are pretty hard to balance in a way so i don't know how other than just like rewriting how vehicles work like maybe giving vehicles uh the ability to hit like on five ups or four ups in close combats against infantry mod i don't know i don't know how they would do that uh but i think in general vehicles in this in this edition are, aren't going to be as as uh viable unless they have the fly keyword um no, which is that's... unfortunate I don't think that's necessarily true. We've seen vehicles that don't fly be useful and successful. Um, sometimes price isn't necessarily the answer. Some things are very hard to price. Yeah. And a Land Raider is harder than some vehicles, but it wouldn't be that hard to reprice Rhinos to be a good choice. It wouldn't be that hard to reprice the Predator to be effective. Uh, because, like, being able to get tagged in combat and have to fall back is a thing that lots of other vehicles do deal with. Uh, the Plague Burst Crawler is a great example. Not immune to being touched in combat, but still a very powerful unit. Yeah, it it does have flamers. Sure, helps. but if you don't declare the charge against it, that doesn't matter. That's true. <laughs> um, yeah, that that's a that's a good point. Uh, I think I, I think plague burst crawlers are a good example. Um, but I think you can think of more vehicles that that suffer from it than yeah, the list of than actually do well in this edition. Sure. Um, I, Yeah, I would I would definitely agree that vehicles in general have suffered in this edition uh, just due to the way the game is going. Um, but that's not to say that with the right points changes and stuff, they couldn't be balanced and be useful. Yeah, uh, so well, another thing, so kind of shifting gears here from vehicles to a specific faction, sisters are getting their own codex, which, mm -hmm. which is cool. Um, I, I think... I have a little bit of a theory here. Uh, I think that that GW is going to completely change the way sisters operate. Um, you know, they're they're traditionally they've been a codex that the, or a faction that with each codex have just changed dramatically. Um, you know, when they went from like the the fifth edition faith points and like the Inquisition codex, whoever it was, to the mm -hmm. online codex that you could download. 
um, the faith <laughs> points changed then, and then they changed from then to eighth edition because they never got a seventh edition update. I think um, uh, they wish they didn't. Unfortunately. Yeah. Oh, did they get just like a really it like, was hands real off? Bad. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, but but in eighth edition they changed it again so that that the faith points just like automatically worked. You know, mm-hmm. which led to Celestine being absolutely broken. She's, you know, and Seraphim being able to double move, and Celestine being able to double move. So I predict that they're going to change something like that again, just just because, you know, the GW's not blind. Um, they definitely they nerfed Celestine the last time around because chapter approved, uh, you know, showed that they made Celestine more expensive because everyone was taking her, um, and she isn't being as taken as much as it was back then but now they have an opportunity to really re-change how that codex works and i think that celestine and her double move mechanic or um or the double shoot mechanic i just feel like i feel like that's going to get changed somehow i don't know to what um but that's something i'd like to see as well as i'd like to see like a complete overall for that codex and for them to really like try uh and and make sisters feel like like a real faction instead of like a, a i can shoot twice gimmick from like three units We'll see. Yeah, I'm a they Six suffer, Sisters battle fan. They suffer very badly right now from being a great ally yeah. but a terrible primary. Yeah. Um they're they're just they're not they you know, the fact that their ability is an army wide thing that you get to use on like one or two units per turn is kinda like, well, why would I keep taking more units exactly. if my other guys don't get to anything special? Exactly. Yeah, they've also suffered a lot from GW basically not knowing what they're about. Because, like, it's like, well, their faction gimmick is that they use flamers and melt-a-guns. It's like, yeah, that's also the gimmick for Imperial Guard and Space Marines and every other Imperial faction. And it's like, well, they use bolters again. But they're that's girls, everyone's Sean. gimmick. All well, of them they are girls, but the two. Yeah, un- <laughs> unfortunately, that has been their entire gimmick. Is like, well, you see, they're girls, and so question mark. Well, they are cheaper. Um, they haven't been that much. They haven't been relevantly like cheaper enough to make them relevant. Like especially their battle sister troop choices in past editions, you know. But they are technically access to cheaper three up obsec troops which which isn't like like that would be their niche that would be their gimmick if if you yeah. were to look at them and not as as like as female with with bolters but if it's like an army in a vacuum they they are a cheaper three up save um the problem is is that that they are cheaper three up save they're not that much cheaper and their offensive power powers is kind of like basically the same as a space marine, but they don't get any of the cool stuff that space marines get. No, that's not to say space marines get a lot of cool stuff. Tactical marines still suck, but um, the, I, I would say their their problem is that they don't have any coherent theme to the army. You can't like you can say that space marines are supposed to be a generalist army, and maybe that has not been implemented well. But you at least understand what that means in terms of the outfall of what they do. Um, and, you know, Guardsmen are the Horde Imperial Army. Um, Admech is all about sort of like repair and one-turn gimmicks. Sisters of Battle don't have a theme. They don't do anything. And that's been one of their fundamental problems from the very beginning, is that they don't have any real identity yeah, beyond they're, like they're the girl army. Almost every faction in, in a way, right? So like they have hand flamers. Well, I can take Blood Angels with yeah. hand that also have like six attacks if I give them the buffs. Like it's just it's not 
it's not uh, they're just not co like conducive to the current game yet now I have a lot of faith that they'll have a good codex um, but yeah right now not other than Celestine and uh, Seraphim squads you don't like, you just don't see them mm-hmm and they have been good about that and like the last few books have all been pretty well put together so you know like Peter I like I think they'll do a good job, but they need to fundamentally revamp the army and figure out some kind of theme for them, like they did with Necrons and Dark Eldar back in 5th edition. That's um, the same sort of deal, where it's like there are these armies that were just sort of like a pile of different units, and they came through and cleaned it all up and said, okay, now this is what you guys are about. Yeah. Uh, all right, so is, is there anything else... Um... Do you guys want to see kind of out of chapter approved? Maybe be a little selfish too. Like, um, uh, I personally want to see uh, space marine vehicles get, uh, you know, tactics, I, chapter I tactics that. of some I, kind. I think that's a, um, a big thing. I think, I think the game needs to either get less killy or they need to really work on their their chapter tactics as a whole. I think almost every army needs like, and I don't think that's going to happen in chapter approved. But at some point, uh, GW needs to go back and say, why is it that 85% of, of uh, Tau players only take Tau Sept. Or why is it... Like, I, I mean, the mm -hmm. answer is obvious, but like GW needs to sit down, have that talk, and then look at the chapter tactics as a whole. And either maybe you pay a point cost for chapter tactics in the future, so if you want the good ones, like they, they did that, and I think Warhammer Fantasy Battle had a, had a thing way back uh, where you paid for like, something like chapter tactics. Uh, I remember Lizard. Oh, had, yeah. Um, or like they just revamp everybody's so that they're worth it. Honestly, I think that revamping them would be the easier solution. Um, most of them are, even the ones that are not good, are not that far yeah, off of being good. It would not take a lot of changes just, to make them effective. There's so much better than the others is the problem. So those got toned down slightly. Oh, absolutely. I, slightly, I think yeah. But um, I would love my custodies foot troops to be worth taking. No, I don't no, think no, that's, that's a problem with chapter like, tactic. We're talking but about yeah, like it's... selfish things. My selfish thing. Oh, I would yeah, love sure. to be able to run Alaris Terminators <laughs> and and be like, ah, these are worth it. Instead of, ha, I tricked you because of the one stratagem you forgot about. <laughs> Uh, I think I think a lot of people probably have their like Space Marine Terminators are one of those another one of those units that people are like, man, I wish this was better because it's so cool. Um, uh, but but yeah, uh, Sean, is there anything you wanna you wanna see out of Chapter Approved? Um, I think if if I were to pick one selfish thing, um, it would actually be pretty close to what Peter picked. There is I would like to see custodies have a reason to take anything other than jet bikes although i want it for the opposite reason he does because i am just so sick of seeing custodies jet bikes <laughs> i'm so tired of running into 23 of them and just being like well it's dawn of war deployment yeah. i guess i lose yeah it, th that's something that that um that I think GW could probably work on uh, in general. And if, if they don't do this in chapter approved, I think they missed out on a pretty big opportunity. And that's uh, the troop choices for a codex can really make or break the codex. 
like mm-hmm. 100%. The you know the the most used codexes also happen to have like some of the best troop choices or, or some of the best troop choices um are consistently seen. Like for example, cultists they they're one of the best troop choices uh, but the chaos base spring codex sucks. And it's like so all you see is cultists <laughs> because they're so good they're miles ahead of what the Chaos Base Spring Codex brings. And then the Chaos Base Spring Codex actually has some really cool stratagems and other stuff in there too, but not just the actual units to take advantage of it, with the exception of cultists and a few characters, like Demon Princes and stuff. Um, but if you look at, like, for example, Necron, Necron troops are really bad. Um, Non-Space Marine Scouts troop choices are not very good, uh, mm. which kind of leaves Space Wolves in an awkward position because Blood Claws are like, they're okay, um, but they're still little too pricey and then obviously gray hunters and space marines and power armor tactical squads and intercessors aren't the best um clearly uh no one's bringing them uh, so i kind of want to see just gw kind of look at all the troops choices and, and just reevaluate them and use them as like a baseline it's like okay the first thing we have to do for for a codex is make troops choices viable like they need to be solid bread and butter choices they don't need to be overpowered um, but they need to be a, a unit that you feel like you should feel like like it's it's doing its job and it's surviving and it's just a good solid unit that you're just never going to drop, um, which isn't the case right now. Yeah, it, one of the problems troop choices often have right now, and it's not universal, but it is common across a lot of books, is troop choices are often just a kind of like watered down version of other stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, You see this especially with the Space Marine Codex, but also to varying degrees with others. And I think it's very telling that the good troop choices in the game, your Space Marine Scouts, your Chaos Marine Cultists, your Zangors, your Tau Fire Warriors, your Eldar Rangers, those units don't have equivalents in other slots. That's part of what makes them good and thing something that you want to take is that you can't just get a better version of them in the elite slot that also gets another attack and carries a second special weapon. Hmm. Yeah, I agree. So, um... Yes. Peter. Troop choices yes. for the custodies. Well, that'd be ridiculous. 20 be points a model. Absolutely broken. I only run custodies. <laughs> uh, <laughs> They'd be what? Less than yeah, ten wound test less than ten points of wound? No. I, that'd be, I think the yeah, that'd be too dumb. <laughs> I think custodian guard are not terrible for where they are. Maybe a five point decrease I'd be fine with. It's like I said at Alaris, who are eighty four points with an axe when you can just pay six more points for something that is a billion yeah. times better on a bike. Uh, or uh, yep. or even the Wardens. You're paying 12 points for essentially a 6-up feel no pain over your regular troop. Um, like Those are the, what need a, a, an adjustment in the Custodian's decks. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, so I, I think that's that's pretty much all I have to say about Chapter Approved or Speculation. Overall, I, I'm really excited for, for what uh, Chapter Approved brings. Um, this will be year two. Uh, they they won't have as much. They won't have the uh, factions like the the faction teasers that they brought in last year, which I thought kind of took away a lot from what Chapter Proof could have been. Um, just because they took they hmm. took up so many pages, just like 
you know, showing hey, or giving giving everyone little tidbits, tastes of what they could have. And I, for the most part, people didn't use them a whole lot. Um, in my kind of like what I saw. Um, but I, the... I actually kind of felt the opposite on that. Uh, I I really liked that because it was throwing a bone to all the people who didn't have a codex yet. But that's probably more personal taste than anything. Yeah, so there, there's definitely a, a point to be made there. Um, I, I guess my kind of thought process was that, like, for example, orcs got something, right? And it's kind of like, oh, whatever, orcs weren't being brought in tournaments anyways. And, like, orc players mm. got something cool, yeah, but, uh, you know, didn't do anything to help the orc codex. Space Wolves, the same thing. The Tau one was kind of man. The Tau codex came so quickly after chapter approved that it didn't matter a whole lot. Uh, and if you remember when chapter approved came out, Tau weren't very good in that uh, LVO because chapter proof came out right before the LVO. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, a gene sealer cult weren't used very much. So I felt like the factions that were left over were just the, what they got just was kind of, you know, wasn't used. And then very quickly by Adepticon, like half the factions got a codex. Right. Um, so I just felt like it was a little bit of a waste. Like I get that they were trying to appease people. Um, and it would have been definitely would have been better if, if they had, if, people had had like to wait a little longer because then they would have definitely wanted something like that. But that's just my personal opinion. Um, it's still, still, I think a good call by GW ultimately. Um, and for this chapter approved, uh, I just, I know this, the sisters of battle codex is going to be in it. Um, which is, it's obviously it's like a codex. I don't know if it's going to be like a full fledged fledged, like codex, like where, where you've got everything in the, in the book and then the rest of the book, or if it's going to be like a centerfold, or you just pull it out and you're like, oh, here's like two pages of sister stuff. Like, have fun with it. Rather than, you know, fluff. Um, can I say two more things I wanted a chapter approved? Well, we'll okay, see. Sorry, I had to step away. So sure, sure. One of these was already said. Um, Grey Knights, I want them to have full smite on their characters. Uh, oh. Yeah. Yes, well, there's I, so I, many that, things we're on with that Grey Knights. I don't even know where to start. For basically everything, which GW already said they're getting. Um, and this one is one that I know won't happen, but mm-hmm. I, I kind of want it because I, I want the game to slow down a little bit in terms of how killy it is. And that's stratagem limitations. I would love to see, and I haven't thought this fully through, so don't don't mm. start freaking out. Don't start, be like, I can see it now. Some guy out there is just like typing furiously. Um I would love to see something where you can only use a stratagem, say, once per every thousand points of a of an army you ha- like that you're using. So if you take 500 points of guard, you can use their stratagems once. Um, something to that effect, that where you're limiting the, hmm. the crazy things that people are abusing, and maybe slowing down some of the killiness. I think the killiness is intentional. GW wants the game to go fast. They know that it won't if everyone is just sitting with 200 models on the table. So, I don't know. I think yeah, that's I all on purpose. Yeah, I just think it's almost gone too far. But that's just me, and it's personal opinion. But I think if you did something like that, where you limit strats, it also gives a benefit to going pure codex for those people that you know have such a hard-on for that, is now you, you basically get full run of your strats versus everybody else having to think, well, I only brought you know that one Cabal Raider so I'm only going to get one Vect this game. I got to make sure I use it right instead of, you know, only using Vect three or four times over the course of your game. <laughs> yeah, I think I think to beat up on Pete's thing a little bit more, Sean, Sean already kind of poked a hole in it. And uh, I think that that most stratagems, especially the most powerful ones, 
only need to be used once to have a devastating effect on the battlefield and um, especially your opponent's morale. Um, so that might not be the best choice, but I do see where you're coming from. Uh, and I do definitely notice a difference in power level between like when I use my Blood Angels army, um, who, who obviously I can't use nearly as much stratagems for. Uh, you know, it kind of brings them more in line with what everyone else is running, which which I think is just the general point of what Pete's trying to get at. It's that, mm -hmm. you know, like certain codexes just don't use stratagems like their combo pieces like Chaos and Eldar do or Chaos and, and Blood Angels did, right? Where, where you basically had entire strategies and units that revolved on you being able to use these one stratagem, this one or two stratagems, which is why the Blackheart stratagem is so good. Right, because it can just shut out people's ability to to use their army. Um, I think I think that there's definitely something to be said about uh, minimizing stratagems to an extent and um, and kind of reining them in a little bit. Uh, though I do I would like to see more stratagems like what GW made with the uh, take cover stratagem, where if you go second um, mm, yeah. on first turn, because I thought that was a brilliant stratagem. But I, I've been saying more that for a while now, so I won't go too much anyway. into that. We can move on. Sorry, I just had to get. Oh yeah, that'd be That's great. Something I would love to see. <clears throat> yeah, um, I, Peter, do you play um, Age of Sigmar at all, not, or do you know anything about it? 40K, but... Okay, yeah, Age of Sigmar has a much more paced kind of like stratagem game because mm -hmm. of the way they distribute command points and you know a lot of other things as well, but. Uh, you know, with the idea being that you gain command points each turn and they accumulate over the course of the game rather than being entirely front-loaded. Uh, and if, if the game had been designed that way, I think we would mm -hmm. see very different kind of stratagem use. But I don't think that's something that is very easy to do. go back and redo at this point. Yeah, it, yeah, because it took Age of Sigmar an entire new edition to do that, right? It, yeah. You know, so that would have to be like a ninth edition thing. Um so and, and unfortunately, Reese and the playtesters are probably already working on like tenth edition. They're so <laughs> far ahead. Um, you know, as Reese talks about all these ridiculous units being OP, and I'm like, Reese, are you sure you're not talking about an edition like three years in the future? Like, are, are really are really like are are they those units really that good? He's the like, yeah, they're amazing. I'm like, Reese, are you sure? Yeah. Sometimes I feel like he just rolls like a D8 or a D10, and yeah. then he just starts talking in that yeah, edition. You know, those play, yeah, it's mm -hmm. like, yeah. oh man, incinerators are so awesome. You're like, what the fuck's an incinerator, Reese? Oh, uh, I meant uh, Grey Knight Terminators. Uh, uh, <laughs> Primaris, Mark III and... Primaris Marines are the best. Like, Mark III. <laughs> Yeah, but... We're all playing tic-tac-toe and Reese yep. is playing nine-dimensional chess. <laughs> but um, anyways, so, so let's, uh, I'd like to move on to the final segment, kind of close out the episode uh, with uh, things we were thankful for. So I know that um, a lot of people in the U.S. celebrated Thanksgiving, though not everyone celebrates Thanksgiving, and that's perfectly fine. Uh, we all still got a break from traffic, and uh, most of us got a break from the daily grind on Thursday, at least at the very least last week. Um. So I would just like to briefly just give thanks to the 40K community and talk about things I am thankful for. Uh, and then, of course, uh, Sean and Pete can jump in, too. Um, Pete, here's your green oh card so you can God. be American for 20 minutes so you can talk about this you subject, too. You know we have too. Thanksgiving, um, Pablo. It's just like a month earlier because uh, we're better at it. Anyway. What's the Canadian it's Thanksgiving called? It's the exact same 
just a mic. Oh, it's... <laughs> well, like, I was expecting like <laughs> moose like moose moose teeth <laughs> moose tine or something. I don't know. <laughs> All right, I'm celebrating Mooseltine from now on. <laughs> Mooseltine. Um, but but one thing I'm thankful for, of course, is our sponsor, Frontline Gaming, uh, where you can go to. FrontlineGaming.org, where you can purchase all your GW products at a discount, as well as secondhand shops, products, ITZ terrain, FLG mats, and so much more. Uh, if you're looking to buy stuff or read awesome articles or listen to signals from the frontline and other podcasts, go to FrontlineGaming.org. Check us out. Uh, they're a sponsor. Also, Broken Egg Games, where you can click on the link in the description in the show notes on frontlinegaming.org. Uh, if you click that affiliate link, buy something, helps out the podcast. Check that out. Thankful so much for our sponsors. Sean and Pete. No, no, I'm the Canadian. Pete, you want to leave this one? Okay, all right, all right. Um, if I'm being really honest here, I think one of the things that I'm, I'm thank- most thankful for in 40K these days is the community. And that all the work that Reese and uh, Mike from Nova and all the other guys who've done so much work to grow the community, um, having been playing this game since all the way back in 2nd edition and have been playing competitively pretty heavily since late 4th edition, it's amazing how far the game has come. Um, when we've gone from just these these handful of little like 30-person tournaments to these absolutely massive, like, 1,000-plus-person events. Um, and to see that kind of change in things is really encouraging. Um, and, and kind of as part of that is, like, the other thing I'm really thankful for in 8th edition is that GW is really trying with the game. If, if I'm being honest, in 7th edition, it kind of felt like they were phoning it in a lot of the time. But in 8th edition, they've really come around, and like they're trying to make a good game that's fun to play for all kinds of players, and that that means a lot to me, I think. It's, it's just like, it shows that GW wants their product to succeed, and they want their game to be good, and for people to have fun with it. So... Uh, one thing uh, I'm, I'm really thankful for is uh, the um, <laughs> not only the <laughs> Pete took too long, he's too busy celebrating Musenstein over there. <laughs> um, but, but one thing I, I'm, I'm thankful for, uh, for sure, is the listeners on the podcast. But more importantly, the the people who are more accepting of uh, competitive 40k in general. And I know this is this is uh, definitely more of a niche you know, audience, uh, still, I, I know that a lot more people enjoy 40 K for its hobby and for painting and they don't really necessarily attend tournaments. However, I, I love that the community is kind of, you know, wrap their head around the idea of like match play existing, right. Where, where mm-hmm. before, you know, when I first started playing, I was kind of shunned and I was kind of looked down upon, uh, when I talked about attending 40 K tournaments and talked about, playing 40k competitively you know it, it it seemed like it was a very stigma negative thing um that you could do in the community right looking for competitive battle reports and just daring to talk tactics and, and beating your opponent um 
and so I, I'm really thankful for just the the way the community has kind of evolved around this this tournament meta, and I, I feel like it's opened up a lot of doors for growth in the community, um, which leads to, of course, the LVO having 800 signed up participants, which is absolutely ridiculous. I feel like that's more people than ter- there were in tournaments in like like fifth edition like, or something crazy. I'm sure that that stat is completely horribly wrong, but it definitely it, feels so like that. It feels like like this really massive big event. It, you're honestly <laughs> not too far off the mark. I went to a bunch of tournaments in fifth edition and like the big tournaments were 60 players and there, there was go. like one or two of those on again on even yeah. of the country. Yeah. Uh, so, so it's, it's definitely the community looks like it's growing. Uh, I see a lot of younger players playing um, kind of just jumping in and um, you know, a lot of people who are like, Hey, I'm starting up, uh, you know, emailing me like, what do I do? What do I bring this list? Is this good? Should I buy this unit? Uh, and it's just something I'm super thankful for because it's something I've always wanted to be a part of uh, is a, a competitive community where we can just talk about a game that we like playing uh, and we can recognize people for doing well at tournaments and rewarding them appropriately, um, which is something that's really cool. Well, um, I'm thankful for all of those things. <laughs> like, I can't, like uh, Sean, you, pro- you said most of the stuff I really wanted to, to nail down. And Pablo, you too. Um, I think most importantly for me... I'm really thankful uh, for the specifics, like the specific people in the community. This game has such a weird group of people that play it, um, and in a good way. Like you see them online, they are the angriest, most passionate folk um, about the smallest, weirdest things um, <laughs> that any other game. You, you just you don't get that. Like any other game, you're not going to see the like just the rage about minor inconveniences. But at the same time, these are the same people that when I started pl- playing this hobby uh, ten years ago, um, like I fell in love with. Uh, just being able to to sit down and be a nerd with somebody else for three hours and then afterwards go out for beers and uh talk about lore or talk about whatever like the best friends i've ever made in this in this world in the end have been made around this game and i'm just eternally grateful for the people i've met um even up to this year now that i'm you know taking on this this different uh view of the world having moved to the great white north but being on a podcast and never would have expected that to have happened uh, so thank you for that pablo and uh, and I mean, meeting you, you're probably, you're like the nicest guy in the world. And Sean, you really are a little puppy um, in real life. It's weird. He's just <laughs> like a dog. No, it's but true. In, in a good it's way. So like true. these are the things that I, that I've, I love. <laughs> and uh, I'm absolutely thankful to like the nth degree. And these new people that I keep meeting now that I've made this website, they just randomly email me, but have the greatest ideas and want to help. Like you don't get that anywhere else. So that's it. I just I love all of you. Oh, and Val's good too. Aww. Except he keeps like introducing me to more people, and it's it's getting hard. I'm having to balance. So I think he Val literally knows every person I, in the yeah. world that plays 40k. That like, is he must my get some. He must have some kind of point. app that yeah. just like dings him when a new when when the new player like buys a box of something, and he's just immediately. <laughs> oh, I assumed it was a contract possible, with the devil. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm absolutely thankful. I'm gonna I'm gonna beat Sean here and step in front of Sean in the queue here. I'm so thankful for for both Sean and, and Pete for coming on, uh, but also for Val, who's absolutely relentless 
uh, when it comes to just building communities and bridging gaps. And as Peter said, he Val's just knows feels like Val knows everyone. And I thought I knew everyone in the community. Um, and of, of course, Jeff for coming on and lending his professionalism to the podcast. Uh, and I don't, I don't like to, I don't like to say this a whole lot, but I feel like, like Jeff really added a lot of, um, character to the podcast that I couldn't bring to the table um, because Jeff is Jeff. He has a, been a broadcaster for 20 years. Um, so I was very humbled when he said yes to coming on. I didn't think he would. I thought, you know, we'd be too small fries for him. Uh, and then of course, Sean, it, you know, Sean has been absolutely great for not only being contrarian and kind of keeping me in line and kind of, you know, keeping some of my more off base and silly statements. And I know I make them a ton. I'm just, I'm just kind of one of those guys. Um, but Sean's definitely kept me in line, but also for being so professional and knowledgeable about the game. Um, it's something I definitely could not bring to the table. I just don't read the codexes often enough. I'm just not a bookworm like Sean is also the voice can't, can't, you cannot replace the voice at all. Yeah. That and then what I made Pete, my deal your work speaks for, for itself. <laughs> You, you, Pete, what you bring work brings for yourself, man. Thank you so much for being a 40k stats guy. We need we need a guy like you. Uh, also, you're so nice. I know you, you say I'm the nicest guy you've ever met. You are lying. You've only met like 20 people up there in Canada. I've met hundreds of people, and you were definitely one of the nicest guys I've ever met. I don't met. know. You offered to help obvious drug dealers search for coinage in a bush when we went out uh, to eat that one night. And that terrified me, but seemed to be obviously something you do on a day-to-day basis. So, well, okay. I don't know what you're talking we, about, Pete. I'm, we don't need to go into that story. But <laughs> and you terrified two old people at Chipotle, but they seemed like once they they looked into your eyes, they realized, <laughs> no, this this is the rhino, and he is a, a pacifistic beast. <laughs> That was that was actually pretty funny. This is the was quite the late night Chipotle. Um, go go ahead, Sean. Do you have anything else to add to this? No, just that whole scenario with us desperately driving about looking for some place to destroy our stomachs that evening. <laughs> and and that's that's actually one of the reasons that I started this podcast. So if uh, if you manage to stick around this long, thank you so much for sticking around this long. Um, and just. You know, keep in mind that that chapter tactics has and always will be uh, more of a loose kind of kind of a fun podcast where people talk about this competitive game, the competitive aspects, and we recognize the people we deserve. But um, you know, I try not to take everything too seriously. I know that you guys you guys want more out of me, and I, I definitely got the stats guy and Pete, and we definitely got that tournament coverage. Um, but ultimately, what I really love about this podcast and what I really love about the dynamic is that it always seems like we're just buddies talking about tournament stuff after a big tournament, um, which is kind of what, why I've always, you know, done the things that I've done, why I played magic, why I played in competitive events and traveled. I always loved the jacuzzi talk in the hotel, the dinner talk at late nights at Denny's or, or whatever we did after the big tournament where we talked strategy and we talked tactics and about, you know, who our heroes were and what our aspirations were. Um, and I know a lot of you guys don't, have access to that i know a lot of you guys are you're either stationed somewhere and you don't have people to play with or you don't you you know you don't have the community that you want or maybe you just don't have the time um and so a lot of you guys reach out to me and thank me for for bringing this podcast to you guys and bringing that kind of tournament chatter that competitive chatter to your doorstep or to your ears Mm. your ears doorstep whatever that is the equivalent of i believe it's what it's called in medical terms 
the an- your your anvil <laughs> your your anvil or something like that is not the I'm part. say you got to yeah. We'll have to bring him on here and talk about anatomy. Sounds like a fun podcast. We'll make a special episode. <laughs> um, but uh, as I was saying, uh, thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, and thank you guys for sticking around for 91 episodes. Uh, we'll be hitting episode 100 around the same time. About around the time the LVO is going to be around. So that'll be super cool. We'll be able to tie all that in. Um, but as always, I'm PD Pob from Frontline Gaming. If you want to email me talk about tournaments if you just want to chat if you want to talk about your list if you have any other questions about what we talked about if you want to talk about stats or whatever uh you can email me frontline gaming pdpab at gmail.com that's frontline gaming p-e-t-e-y-p-a-b at gmail.com thanks for listening guys and i hope you guys have a good rest of november